James chapter 4, the mature Christian makes peace and not trouble. As we were reminded that where do wars come from, where do fights come from? From our own lust, from our own desires to please ourselves and our own problem of always wanting what's best for me. What's going to bring me pleasure? What's going to bring me joy and delight? And then he told us, hey, you have to pray, you have to ask, and you have to ask not for your own desires, but you have to ask for God's will and God's will to be done in our lives. That what we simply need to ask for is God's grace and mercy. And now he's willing to give us his grace in verse 6, but it takes two things, right? It takes us asking and it takes our humility. We have to be humble in asking him. And now what does true humility look like? Verse 7, submitting to God, resisting the devil, then drawing near to God, right? We need to do these things. So what does this cure look like to division and fighting What does this cure look like for our love for this world and the things of this world? What does this cure look like for us to be able to pray more and be given more to prayer? Again, it's the grace of God and asking him, Lord, give me grace, give me grace. And this gives us humility where then we're seeking God's will to be done, not worldliness. Where then we're not seeking our own desires and own lusts, but we're looking for the interests of others before ourselves. Where we're humble enough to say, Lord, I need you. I need to be in prayer. I need to be right with you. And he gave us an order of things, submitting unto God. That means that you're under orders. God, whatever you tell me, whatever your word says, Lord, I will obey. That's what it means to submit ourselves under the Lord, right? Hopefully you're submissive under your boss. What they tell you to do, you do it. You're not constantly fighting with them or giving them better ideas. If not, you're probably not going to have a job for too long, right? So for us to submit under the Lord, Lord, whatever you say and whatever your word says. And again, last time we were reminded he's not an evil tyrant where the right thing to do would be not to submit. But he's a perfect father. He's the perfect and loving father where to refuse that would be insane. We should be submissive to our perfect and loving father. The second thing was to resist the devil. That was those two words, stand against And are we truly willing to stand against what the devil says? Stand against sin. Stand against evil. Again, Daniel, before he was even faced with the temptation, he made it up in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. That's what it means to stand against. Lord, before I even get to that bridge, Lord, I am not going to do this. I'm going to stand against the enemy. I'm going to resist the devil because he's going to flee. Then after that, we need to draw near to God. That means to approach God, to join with God, to join hand in hand. To Again, as we're submissive to him, we follow him. And just as much as we need to stand against the enemy, we need to draw near to God. We need to do both of those things. Sometimes all we think is, yeah, I hate the devil. I hate what he does in the world. I hate evil. I hate sin. But if we just stop there, we'll just find ourselves back in sin, just in a different place. But now when we say, no, I hate the devil. I hate evil. I hate sin. And now, Lord, I'm going to draw myself to you. That's when you're going to really be growing and working with the Lord. That's when he's going to be pouring his grace upon you. What's the final thing there? Cleansing our hands. Removing sin from our life. 
removing things that cause us to fall into sin. As we draw near to him, we see his holiness, we're blown away at his holiness. And like Isaiah, like Moses, like men and women all throughout scripture, they're broken in their humility. They fall on their faces and they say, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinful man. As we humble ourselves, those true, the true sign of humility is wanting to remove sin from our life. So much of our lives, it's all dependent on humility and pride. Humility and pride. We're in the pastor's meeting as we're praying for different people. It's like, man, got to help me, Lord. I, I'm struggling with pride in here. Lord, you got to help me be more humble here. And so many of us, we would be better in life if we were just a little bit more humble, right? We would be so much better in life if we would have not made that decision in pride and if we would have just stayed quiet, right? That huge argument, huge blowout with your spouse, all it needed was 30 seconds of humility. Don't say that one line, right? And you would have had all the fire that came out. We need to humble ourselves and cleanse our hands. Remove sin from my life. Again, sin's only outcome in my life is bringing death. That's the only outcome of sin in our life. We lie to ourselves many times. The enemy lies to ourselves. We think we can handle it, right? We all love playing, all the guys at least love playing with fire, right? We think we can handle it. It's never going to get out of our control. Sin always leads to death. We'll never be able to keep it under control. We'll never be able to be disciplined enough to only allow certain amounts of it. And again, if we are really trying to become humble to receive his grace, if I'm really submitted under God, if I'm really resisting the devil, if I'm really drawing near to him, then I must be removing sinful things from my life. And again, as God's cure of grace is being poured out into our lives, it leads us to humility. And now chapter 4, the second half, it reveals to us probably the greatest tests of humbling ourselves in the sight of God. And it's twofold. The first half is, am I speaking evil of others? That's the first great test to see if we are truly humble before the Lord. If we really have a spirit of humility, am I speaking evil of others? And secondly, am I surrendering to the will of God? Am I speaking evil of others? And am I surrendering to the will of God? In James chapter 1, again, James, he already hammered out a lot when it came to the tongue. But in James chapter 1, verse 26, it tells us, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this one's religion is useless. Again, all throughout James, it's prove it. It's show me. You tell me you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me see it through the working of Jesus in your life. You say you're religious. You say you're right with God. Let me see through your words, through your grace and mercy that you really have this relationship with God. And again, I don't know what it is. Such a small part of our body and yet it's probably one of the most difficult things to bring into discipline, right? I don't know if we remember, I forget all the time, the, our verse for the year was to discipline ourselves towards, right, the purpose of godliness. So important for us to have that discipline. But it seems like our mouth is the most difficult thing to get under control, right? Whether it's our speech, the things we say, and then the things we eat, right? Yeah, 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 right? It's hard to bring that thing under control, right? The working out, that's the easy part, that's the fun part. But now when you go and you're there at the birthday party and the cupcakes... Like, man, get under control, right? It never gets tired. 
It's always ready for more. It's always quick. It's always sharp. And one of the chief places to be in disciplining ourselves and being humble before the Lord is being able to control our mouth. Verse 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Again, James, he's writing this to a church. He's writing this to a group of believers, right? Verse 1 and 2 is, hey, where do wars come from among you? So again, wow, we think of this family, right? This church family, they have wars. And then verse 11, they're speaking evil of one another. That never happens in our church, right? We only have good things to say about each other. We only say the very best. We always hope the best in others, right? We need to work on not speaking evil of one another. William Barclay, he says this word speaks evil, translate to the Greek word katalalia. And katalalia sounds like a nice name. But it's the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and they pass on confidential information which destroy the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. Right? We've seen this. We're there, right? We're in Miami. We see that, right? People, they gather together and they gossip. They slander. Being critical of another brother or sister in their situation and their lifestyle and what they're doing. We can get bitter. And now every time we speak of someone, even in a good sense, that bitterness is pouring out of our heart and through our mouth. And others are seeing it. Unforgiveness of another brother or sister. And now it leads to everything we say. There's a little hint of anger right and resentment there and you see what James 11 and 12 is telling us is that when we are speaking evil of our brothers and sisters in Christ you're breaking the law of God not only are you breaking the law of God but now you think you are above the law of God and now when you think you're above the law of God now you think you're above the lawgiver you think you and God are bros making the law right I think we've been there, at least I have, maybe not you guys, but you're driving and the highway's completely empty, and you see that speed limit sign at 70? Nah, I can handle a little better, right? That law doesn't apply to me. The other people, yeah, they got to stay at 70. Other people, they can't drive very well. But me, man, I'm like a pro out there, right? I'm good. I've been driving for 20 years, right? 12 years. I'm, I'm ready. I'm good. But now if a police officer pulls us over... We can't really use that story anymore, right? Officer, the thing is, I'm a really great driver. So 70, officer, I've done 100 sometimes on the highway and I've been safe. I've never gotten into an accident. We should go and we should look at the speed. It doesn't work. And now when we're gossiping about others, slandering others, being critical about them, we're breaking the law and now we're thinking that we're above it. We're cutting them down in the very same areas where we're weak and vulnerable. In Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39, again, that's where we get that royal law or the law that's being spoken of here. In Matthew 22, Jesus, he's the one who brings all the law, all the commandments, and he makes it short, sweet, and to the point for us. 
Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Again, family, everything results in our love for God and our love for those around us. And we looked at that. Who is my neighbor, right? It's anyone. It's anyone, especially those who are in need. Those are our neighbors that we should be loving for and caring for. And now when we have a critical heart, and I struggle with this. A critical heart, it's just oozing with pride. When we look at others and we're critical of them and we're critical of where they're at, our hearts are boasting whether we realize it or not. And when we have this heart of pride, we're not loving God the way that he should be loved. And we're definitely not loving our brothers and sisters the way that they should be loved. Because no one here is like, yes, I love it when people are super critical of me and everything I do and think and say and the things I don't say that I should have said, right? No one likes that. And when we're critical of one another, it's just simply pride. We're putting ourselves there with the law. We're saying, yeah, me and the law are one and we find you guilty. In Luke chapter 15, it gives us a very scary example for us of a brother who had a critical heart. A brother who had a critical heart for his own brother that was trying to come back to the Lord, trying to get right with God, and yet his brother had a critical heart. And that critical heart, it's because of pride. In Luke chapter 15, verse 28, we probably know this story as the story of the prodigal son, but it's truly a tale of two brothers, right? You have the prodigal son, and then you have the older brother. And the father, he's ecstatic that the prodigal son is coming home. In fact, he runs out to meet him. He gives him the very best. He welcomes him. He forgives him. And he loves him. But in verse 28, speaking of the older brother, it says he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Notice how many eyes there are in here. I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Family, lots of times we're definitely not the prodigal. Sometimes we're the father welcoming someone back, but oftentimes we're the older brother. And we see someone else put into a place or a position. We see someone else where God is pouring out his grace and mercy on them. And instead of being excited, instead of being just, Lord, you're so great and amazing, we begin to put ourselves up and we say, Lord, but what about me? Lord, why are they in that position? Lord, why do they have those friends? Lord, why do they drive that car? Lord, I have been perfect. I've never transgressed 
and you've never given me a young goat that I might make merry. Family, we need to be careful when we're critical of others, when we slander others. Oftentimes, the reason we do all these things is to bring someone else down so that we feel better about ourselves. And again, that's where chapter 4 started off with the pride in our own hearts, wanting what's best for me. And what's best for me is to make everybody else look bad and me look amazing, right? Because I'm pretty amazing. That's what we all think at least, right? But the love we should have is to not speak evil of others, to not be critical of others, but to love them. And again, there's so much power in our tongue. Many times we would say, right, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. I used to look at someone and just shake our head at them and brush it off our shoulders, right? Well, you say it doesn't bother me. But Proverbs 18, verse 21, God tells us something very different. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Again, family, our mouths have the power of life and death. You're critical of another believer here, and you may have just put the final nail in the coffin for them to stop attending church. You're critical of someone, and they just gave their very best, right? The disciples, they were kind of critical of the woman of the two mites, right? They're like, Jesus, her? She's the one? That's the greatest gift? Did you see how, Lord, she gave this much. That's all she gave. We need to be careful with that. We can destroy someone. In Ephesians chapter 4, we should turn there. Such an important portion of scripture for the way we should speak, the way that we should be living. Again, our tongues, how they have power to breathe life and power to bring forth death. Again, many times kids, the way they act, the way they behave, It depends on the names the parents call them, right? The names the teacher has called them. Are they uplifting? Is it beneficial? Is it constantly tearing them down? In Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read verse 25 through 29. It says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And here Paul, he's giving us two important words for us to compare and contrast. The first one is corrupt word. Corrupt word. I don't know if you've ever had to replace wood in a house or wood on a deck. And you go to grab it and it just falls apart in your hand because it's dry rotted. The termites have gotten to it. It's falling apart. It's squeaking. It's doing all sorts of crazy things. Just burn it, right? Our mouths can precede things that will rot someone out. Corrupt words, and they'll dry rot someone to their very core. But now, instead of that corrupt word, what we should be doing is speaking those things that are good for necessary edification. That's that word, probably most of us know, right? Edificio, that's where we get our word building. And now we can speak words that build up our brothers and sisters instead of tearing them down. That instead of putting dry rot in their bones and soul, 
We can breathe life into them and build them up and encourage them to keep on seeking the Lord. We can encourage them, hey, I know you're always late to church, but hey, next time you're going to get them. You're going to get here early, right? Whatever it may be. We keep reading verse 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Again, back to humility. When we remember all of our own sins, right? If we would take communion before we have conversations with our wives and bosses, right? And remember all our sins, remember all our shames, remember how we're a sinner just like everyone else. We deserve hell just like everyone else. Then we're going to be able to have that tender heart. Forgiving one another just as Christ has forgiven us instead of being bitter. Ephesians chapter 5, chapter right next door, verse 1 through 7, it tells us, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma before an And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Again, we get those words evil speaking, and there it gave us a list in verse 3 and 4 with the way our speech should be. What's coming out of our mouths? And if that was too hard to understand, I wrote it out for us. What's the list of evil speaking? Lying, right? Not telling the truth. Exaggerating on the size of the fish. I think we're all guilty, right? How far away are you? Five minutes. Hey, are you on your way yet? I'm on my way to get dressed before I get out of the house, right? Lying, we lie. Gossip. Speaking evil about others behind their backs. Again, the Bible makes it very clear. If someone has sinned against you, if you truly feel that way about them, the very first thing is to look into the spiritual mirror and say, Lord, where is the sin in my life? Where is the evil? Where is the plank in my eye? Lord, help me deal with this. Let me pray. Let me get this right. And now the thing we should go do right after that is go ask that person face to face. Hey, why did you do this? It really hurt me. It really let me down. You don't know how mad you got me. It's good to have those conversations because the gossip, it's not going to help that person get any better. It's not going to help restore your relationship with them. But now you're putting their dirty laundry all out there. And now people, they're going to know you as the gossiper. And again, that's not going to help. Slander. Backbiting, right? Someone tells you something, you snap back at them, right? You slap back at them. 
critical speech. I'm so guilty of this, man. Always speaking critically of others. Always finding the worst in someone and their reason for doing something, right? It's never that they're late because their car broke down. No, it's because they did this, that, or the third, right? It's never that they need help with the money because they miscalculated and the car blew up and they had to repair the car. No, it's because they blew all their money on purses or watches or whatever, right? We can be critical. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, Paul gives us what agape love looks like. And I think this is very important how our speech should look like. Our view for our brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Right? Love never fails. What are we more excited for, right? When we hear someone has fallen into sin, are we excited because now we get to share it with someone else? Are we more excited when someone's growing in the Lord? They started serving. They're coming consistently to church. And we're excited to encourage them and encourage others. Back to that list of our evil speaking. Lying, gossip, slander, backbiting, critical speech, cursing, filthy talk, profanity. This is one that we forget about. Complaining. Free time? What should we do? Hey, let's just complain about the weather, right? There's free time, what should we do? Complain about our boss. Free time, what should we do? Complain about politics. Complain about the bank account. Complain about the dolphins, right? We were so prone to it. Bitter speech. Careless words. Empty bragging. Family, we all struggle with it. We're all failing at it. Lord, how in the world can I get better? We need to pray. We need to ask the Lord. Psalm 19, verse 13 through 14 David, again, he has a heart of humility. The problem we find ourselves in is when we're convicted of these things, maybe your spouse is elbowing you, right? Or you're elbowing your own heart, right? You feel it, Lord, man, I got to work on these things. We can lock into pride and say, not me, Lord. I'm pretty good. I only curse every once in a while. Or it's only when it's my, big, my left big toe. When it's my right big toe, then I'm okay. Then I don't curse, right? I don't gossip that much. Or, oh, they deserved it. Psalm 19, verse 13 through 14. This is David. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This is a great prayer to pray. This is a Lord's will type of prayer, right? You don't have to say in Jesus' name with any twang, right? The Lord wants to give you this prayer that we would pray, Lord, my mouth and my heart, Lord, help it be right before you. Again, the danger is that evil speaking is just so common that we forget about it sometimes. The TV shows we watch, the music we listen to, we just forget about it sometimes. It's one of the blessings, I mean, hopefully, right? One of the blessings of having kids around. If 
you have that, at least a heart that you want to follow the Lord, you start noticing all the bad words, all the innuendos, all the dirty jokes. And now our place should be to, Lord, help me cleanse these things from my life. Again, being able to tame the tongue, it is training for taming our entire flesh. It's one of the top forms of self-control. So again, as we speak about our brothers and sisters, may it always be edifying. As we speak about our spouse in front of other people, may it always be edifying. Right? Marriages, they come in for help, they need prayer, and hey, what's wrong? And the guy right away just says everything's the wife's fault. I can tell what's wrong already, right? You're complaining about your wife in front of everyone. Of course she's not going to respect you. The wife, all she does is complain about him. Oh, he's got Google Maps, Apple Maps, all the maps, right? I print out the map quest. He still can't find the place we're going. And she's just tearing him down. Her words are not edifying, not building up. Again, I found myself in this battle recently, just believers speaking evil of other believers for political beliefs, right? Maybe you've been there. We should be those that are trying to Solve the problem. Not add gas to it to either party. Because there's Christians talking bad about you as we're talking bad about other Christians, right? They can't believe what you believe and we can't believe what they believe, right? We shouldn't be speaking evil of one another, especially on social media, especially in a group of unbelievers, right? You want to invite them over. You want to talk with them one-on-one and try to understand. That's important. That's good. But may we not just be speaking evil of other believers. May we be loving one another. May the world look at all the disunity and how the enemy's trying to rip us apart as a nation. And may we be the example of, man, how are those people united? All different colors, all different places in the economy, all different jobs, and yet they're united. May that be what people see within us as believers. May we not be speaking evil of other believers. And it's not just the people in the blue chairs. we got to work on the people in the blue chairs. That's the easiest one, right? But then the other churches, the other denominations, right? Got to be careful speaking evil of other brothers. we got to love on them. Now the second part is surrendering to the will of God. Surrendering to God's will. Our pride, our lack of humility many times wants to say, Lord, did you really think this through? God, I think I got a better plan and idea than you do. I know you want me to get married at this age, kids at this age, and job at this age. But Lord, I think, Lord, you know what I think? I think this is better, right? Again, arguing with the lawgiver, putting you at the same place as the lawgiver. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So we read this and we think, man, what's going on? Is it wrong to plan? No, it's not wrong to plan. Lord, is it wrong to try to create a profit and have a business? No, it's not wrong to do that. The problem here is that the man spoken of here just assumes that life is going to happen exactly how he expects it to happen. And it's wrong. It's wrong for us to just assume life for ourselves and to never bring things before the Lord, to seek the Lord and His wisdom and will in our lives. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's pride thinking, Lord, I know enough that I don't have to ask you, God, what's your will for my life? 
Lord, what do you think about my life, right? I don't know what you're an expert in. Whether we like it or not, there's one thing we really love and enjoy, and we become experts in. So, right, let's say you're a realtor here, and now your brother, your sister, your family member, they just say, hey, I just bought a house. Would you not be hurt? Like, dude, this is what I do for a living. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Why would you not even pick up the phone and call me? Why wouldn't you talk to me? You got a terrible deal. What are you talking about, right? And oftentimes that's what we do to the Lord. Our pride keeps us from saying, Lord, I'm thinking about doing this, but God, what is your will in my life? And oftentimes we get in trouble just assuming life is going to go the way we expect it and want to go. Again, 2020, right? Any of you write this down in your calendar, right? Write down, hey, this is exactly what's going to go on. We're going to do a little bit of this and then a little bit of that. And yeah, I'm going to cancel school for a little bit and then I'm going to do this. It happens. Right? Every time the phone rings, I don't know about you, my mind is kind of twisted, right? Every time the phone rings, I think, man, is this going to be one of those phone calls where your life just completely changes, right? I don't know if you've ever had one of those before. You pick up the phone and man, someone just got in a bad accident. Someone has cancer. Someone just passed away, and we just assume, Lord, my life's in my hands. It's my power. It's what I've done. This is what I've built up. Lord, this is my kingdom. Look at what I've done. And we don't take into account the one who knows all things, the great I am. Charles Spurgeon, he says, notice that these people, while they thought everything was at their disposal, used everything for worldly objects. What did they say? Did they determine with each other, we will today or tomorrow do such and such a thing for the glory of God and for an extension of his kingdom? Oh, no. There was not a word about God in it from beginning to end. Again, family, the advances in our life, how much of it is for the kingdom of God? And I'm just as guilty of this as everyone else, right? You get some extra money, and what are you thinking of? Ooh, what can I buy, right? What can I fix in the house? Do we got enough for the boat? Do we got enough for the truck, right? The vacation. How we would think, Lord, how can I advance your kingdom with this gift that you've given me? And it doesn't have to be all of it. Sometimes it does. Sometimes that's what the Lord puts on your heart. But what about that 10%, that 50% that, Lord, maybe you want me to help someone go to this retreat. Lord, maybe these missionaries, they need extra help. Lord, Carlos and Riza, Lord, help me to keep praying for them. Lord, maybe they need help. Whatever the case may be. Charles Spurgeon continues. He says, there are two great certainties about things that shall come to pass. One is God knows. And the other is that we don't know. Then so for today, right? Two great certainties about things that shall come to pass. One is God knows. And the other is that we do not know. He continues, verse 15 through 17. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And again, sometimes we forget how quick our life can go. Time's up, but man, a few verses. Psalm 144, verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a shadow. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 12. For who knows what is good for man in life. All the days of his life. Of his vain life which he passes like a shadow. 
Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? Again, our life, it's a vapor. What's spoken of there, when it gets cold, right? Those few days it's cold in Miami. And you breathe and you see your breath for the first time in months. That quickness that it goes in and out. As little kids, you try to keep it up, right? And you try to take a deep breath. <gasps> right? And you try to keep seeing it for a long, long time. It just goes. It vanishes. And family, our lives will vanish. That's why we need to continually go to the Lord and say, Lord, perfect dad, perfect creator, perfect king, what is your will for my life? I'm on this rock. Right? Some of you guys are young, 12 years, maybe 20 years. Moses says, hey, if you're blessed, 70, 80, 90 years. Lord, what's your will for my life? What mark do you want me to make on eternity? Who are the people that I can help enter into eternity with Jesus Christ? Lord, is this vacation what I should do with this money? Or Lord, should I try to bless someone else? And then verse 17, guys, it's the hard part. It's the convicting part. To him who knows to do a good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's easy to think about what we should do. It's easy to hear about what we should do. It's really easy to kind of feel bad and then feel good afterwards knowing what we should really do. But the most difficult thing is to actually do it. It's to actually do it. Whatever the Lord has convicted you of tonight, and specifically here, it's speaking evil of others. And not bringing our life under the submission of God. Again, James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You say you're right with God. You say you're humble with the Lord. You say that he's your homeboy or whatever it may be. This is how we reveal it. It's by not speaking evil of others and being under God's will. Saying, Lord, my life is submitted to you. So may we be aware of our sins. May we be aware of how critical we are of others, how judgmental we are of others, how often we gossip about others. May we always include God in all our plans. And may we be convicted knowing that we can sin by doing nothing. All, right, all little kids say that. All adults say that, right? Who did this? I did nothing, right? I didn't do it. I did nothing. The problem for us is after we've heard from the Lord, Jesus warns us in Luke 12, 48, to whom much has been given, much will be required. And again, that's the blessing and the curse of going to a church that goes through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're given a lot, but now there's going to be a lot required of us. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths.